You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. I offer my life to you, Lord. My God, I trust you. Please don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies rejoice over me. For that matter, don't let anyone who hopes in you be put to shame. Instead, let those who are treacherous without excuse be put to shame. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me. Because you are the God who saves me. I put my hope in you all day long. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again, church, to those of you who are here in person and those of you who are here online. Welcome back for what is week two, week two of a brand new sermon series we started last Sunday on Easter Sunday called Risky Prayers. Risky Prayers. I don't know if this is true of you, but one of the things that's true of me is that I don't always think through the implications and the consequences of the things that I ask of God. Sometimes they say things, and I don't even necessarily think through, well, what might happen as a result of this, and what might God ask of me in response to this? Perfect example. Many of you do this, too. Many of you will leave here today, and you will dare to pray the prayer, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. I just feel like Jesus is always like, no. (laughs) Surely not. And we do this in so many different areas of our lives. We do this in relationships. We do this in work. We do this in our own life. We do this all the time. We pray things, and we don't necessarily think through, well, what might be the secondary and third level of implications of asking God to do this? And so the hope and the prayer of this sermon series, Risky Prayers, is I hope that by the end of this series, one of the things that this does, this series, this conversation challenges you to do, is to start meaning what you pray and praying what you mean. I hope that one of the changes that happens in regards to your relationship with God is that you begin to think through, God, if I'm going to ask this of God, I better make sure I'm prepared to do my part if God challenges me with a role or responsibility to meet it. And so today, uh, we're actually going to continue this conversation. The way it's going to work is every single week, every single week when you tune into worship or you come, we're going to take up a particular risky prayer that someone in Scripture prayed. 
Sometimes we'll be in the Old Testament, sometimes we'll be in the New Testament. We're going to go through a couple of uh, prayers that Jesus himself prayed. And we're going to spend some time really grappling with what are the consequences and implications of praying something like that. And today's example is no different. You see, friends, as you heard in Psalm 25, it's actually really, really risky. There are a lot of implications to praying a prayer that sounds like this. God, teach me the truth. It's a really risky prayer. God, show me the truth. Show me your path to what is actually real. The reason which is because, friends, many sociologists are calling the era in which we're living in the information age. The information age. And what that means is you and I have more information coming at us than we have the ability to fully comprehend or fully digest. That same study found this. They found that the average human being has right now, right now is processing somewhere in the neighborhood of 34 gigabytes of information per day. Now, to just give you uh, an analogy that helps visualize this a little bit, that is the same as reading 174 newspapers every single day. Now, Gen Z, newspapers are what we actually used to write the news on. We actually, physically, we would write news on it and then send it to you, and you read it. It's actually, it's really interesting. And so every day you and I wake up, you and I are being saturated. We're being bombarded with voices, with sources telling you, no, 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 I got the truth about you, about your neighbor, about God, about your health, about your parenting, about your marriage, about the whole world. And so, good gracious, if there was ever a time when we needed to pray this prayer, God, teach me what is true, it is right now. And so without further ado, let's dive into our passage for today. And let's learn a little bit of the implications and consequences of praying and asking something like that of God. Let's go back to Psalm 25. So if you've got your Bibles with you and you want to tune, uh, sort of follow along or your smart devices or if you're at home, you want to go ahead and pause this and find a Bible, go and do that. Psalm 25 is where we're going to be camped out today. If you are new to reading the Bible or you're sort of re-engaging your study and your interpretation of Scripture, the Psalms, I want you to think of these as like diary entries. These are like journal entries. Every single time uh, what you read is an author writing and they're praying and they're expressing something that they're going through. So some psalms are psalms of lament. Some are psalms of anger. Some are psalms of joy. Some are psalms of thanksgiving. I would argue that today the psalm we're going to be dealing with is a psalm of confusion. Here's what I mean by that. Let's work it through in reverse order. He prays this prayer. The author in uh, verses 4 and 5 says this, God, make your ways known to me. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me because you're the God who saves me. I put my hope in you all day long. You see, one of the things that I encourage people to do whenever you read Scripture and you read the author say something, ask the question, I wonder why they're writing that. I wonder why they're praying that way. Because if you do that with this, what you begin to observe and infer is that what's happening in this person's life is something that happens to all of us. 
we are struggling to figure out what is true. We're confused. We feel like we've been listening to a lot of different voices in our lives, a lot of friends, a lot of family members. We dabble some prayer in there every once in a while, but we've got a lot of different people bombarding us and telling us, this is where you ought to go. This is what you ought to do. This will solve the problem. This is the pathway for your life. And so now this person has been listening to so many of those voices and that have confused him so badly that now he's at a loss and he knows nowhere else to go but God to ask God for guidance, for, gui- for teaching, for direction. And although the world in which the psalmist is living in is so very different than ours, we can empathize with that, can't we? We can empathize with that. Right now, again, you and I have more voices claiming the truth coming at us than, every, than any era in all of human history. Let's just pick on the news for a second. Right now, a study found this, found that every time you log on to social media, every single time you turn on the news, we find this, that 80% of U.S. adults have consumed fake news in the past year. 40% keyword admitted, I love this, admitted, 40% admitted to resharing that same fake news for someone else to listen to. And only one in four folks in this study, one in four, said, yeah, like I feel confident in my ability to distinguish between what is a real objective retelling of the events of what happened and what might be someone's biased retelling to sort of go towards a particular agenda of some sort. So if you find yourself, like the psalmist, most days waking up saying, I don't even know what's true anymore, you're not alone. And furthermore, furthermore, What the passage goes on to say is that there's an alternative way to live. There's a different way to live. Go back to verses 1 and 2. The author says this. He says, so in response to all this, I'm going to offer my life to you, Lord. My God, I'm going to put all my trust in you. So please don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies rejoice over me. In other words, what the author decides to do here in this moment is amidst the cacophony of voices telling him what is true, he's found that the way to truth is going to require subtraction, not addition. That the path to truth is going to require subtraction, not addition. Subtracting the amount of voices that we're paying attention to. Subtracting the voices that are constantly just trying to get your attention so they can push their particular viewpoint. Subtracting voices so that we can actually arrive at something that resembles some form of objective truth about you, about God, about the world. And so similarly, that's the challenge we have here before us today. Today, if you are going to be someone who dares to pray, God, teach me what is true, teach me what is real, be prepared that you're going to have to subtract some voices out of your life in order to hear God's answer over your life. That's going to come with some risks. That's going to come with some risks. Some of you are like, I didn't really feel like that was going to be a risky prayer. Teach me what is true. That feels very vanilla. That feels very safe. Teach me what is true. What could go wrong? Well, a lot, actually, quite frankly. There's a lot of risks that come along with that. So if you dare, if you dare to pray the prayer, teach me what is true, the first risk you better be willing to accept is this. First and foremost, you must be willing to accept that you are going to run the risk of learning you were wrong. You might be wrong. 
There might be long-held beliefs, long-held assumptions you've always had about a particular topic or a particular subject that end up needing changing. And friends, the reason why there's not more people in the world risking that is because of what Adam Grant says. I love this. Adam Grant says this so, so beautifully. He says this about humans. He says, we love to listen to views that make us feel good rather than ideas that make us think hard. We favor, we prefer the comfort of conviction over the discomfort of doubt. And there is no people group on planet Earth who knows this better than parents. Parents. Raise your hand if you are a parent in this room. Okay? So every single parent in this room knows, knows that at one point or another, there's a temptation. There's a temptation, there's a reluctance to change your parenting style, even if, A, the data changes, the data changes on what's good, what's bad, what's preferred, what's not preferred. Let's play a quick game. Okay, we're going to play a quick game called Old School versus New School Parenting. Ready? Okay, Old School versus New School. I'm going to put a quote on the board. I'm going to put some advice on the board. You tell me if we're supposed to do it or we're not supposed to do it. So you're just going to do thumb up, thumb down. Ready? Thumb up, thumb down. Ready? Here we go. First one. Babies still need blankets during the summertime. Thumb up or thumb down. Put them up, put them up, put them up. This is actually false. This is false. Babies do not need blankets during the summertime. They actually have the ability to regulate their own temperature. Scientists have proven this. They've proven this. Let's keep going. Number two, cereal in your baby's bottle helps them sleep. Thumb up. If this is good news, we should do this. Thumb down. Eh, wrong-o. Can't do this. Actually, it's not safe for babies to drink cereal until a certain age. Keep going. Keep going. Giving your baby whiskey for teething pain. Listen, <laughs> this one's tricky for me. <laughs> I know it might be wrong, but sweet Jesus, sometimes in the middle of the night, you got some desperate cause, desperate measures, right? Here we go. And, all right, keep going. All right, we should all get this one right. Put your baby on their belly to sleep, thumb up. Wrong. Back is best. Back is best. That's right. They actually have found that uh, this is way safer for the baby. And then finally, last one. Last one. Here we go. If you dance for your baby, they'll grow up with rhythm. Thumb up. <laughs> this actually wasn't in the study. I thought I would just put it in there to see what you guys would guess. So here we go. <laughs> but there's a strong reluctance, right? So this is in the case of parenting, but not just in the case of parenting. There's a strong reluctance to change your approach, to change how you live, even if the data changes. Or again, in the case of parenting, even if the child changes, even if the needs of the child change, there's a strong reluctance to change with them. I'm finding this out in my own life. I have two kids. They are six and eight. And I'm finding out, especially with my eight-year-old, that the jokes I used to tell a couple of years ago that would, like, slay. Now, crickets. Or uh, outright hostility. So I have this bit that I do every morning when uh, I ask them what they want for breakfast and they tell me what they want. And then I act like, like an old 1950s country diner. And I'm like, you won't need hash browns with that. And they used to die laughing, and that was hilarious. Two days ago, my daughter goes, 
Dad, it'll be the cereal alone. Thanks. <laughs> Devastated. But it just goes to show, it just goes to show that the best parents out there, the best parents out there, what they're doing is they're abiding by this principle, that sometimes good parenting is learning how to love the stranger that is occupying your child's body. It's funny, but it ain't. Sometimes good parenting is learning how to love the stranger occupying your child's body. Sometimes good marriage is learning how to love the stranger occupying your spouse's, your partner's body. Jesus has this line in the Gospels where he says, I'll show you the truth and it'll set you free. But friends, the opposite is also true. That if you resist the truth, it'll hold you prisoner forever. And so the question really is, what do you want more? Like, what do you seek? What do you desire more? What's more important to you, being someone who's free from deceit or encased in false security? I've said in other places, would you rather live a life according to an uncomfortable truth or a really, really comfortable lie? And so it's, it's great, it's fine to be someone who says, God, teach me what's true, lead me in your truth, but you better be prepared to learn of the areas where you've been wrong and to change. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, that's not the only risk. That's not the only risk. There's a couple more at least we need to cover today. The second of which is this. So the second risk that you will run if you dare to leave here today and to pray that prayer of, God, teach me what is true, teach me what is real, teach me what is right and good. If you pray that prayer, you better be prepared not only to run the risk of being wrong, but you might also be running the risk of losing control. The thing that we as human beings love the most, you better be prepared to run the risk of losing control control. You see, when you open yourself, your tiny, limited mind to the understanding of God, the almighty God, you will quickly find out that all of these small little Tupperware containers you've been using your whole life to sort and categorize the world now don't work anymore. They're not nearly big enough. They can't contain what it is you've now encountered out in the world. You'll find this to be true, that you will lose control of the, the control you thought you had over a person or a people group or a situation. I'm reading this book uh, by Jonathan Haidt called The Coddling of the American Mind. Anybody read this book? I didn't have any takers at nine. And none at 11 either. Okay, sweet. So um, it's a good book. Uh, it's a good book. Uh, but it is one of those books that uh, you take some and you leave some, right? Which is how I encourage every single one of us to engage in topics and books and authors and speakers. Take what's helpful, leave what's not. Don't cancel all of it just because all of it didn't agree with you. So when I engage this book, one of the things I love so much about it, one of the things I appreciate so much about his worldview is one of the things he's coaching us to do is to resist the temptation. There's this temptation in society right now to try to change the world the facts of the world, the reality of the world, to suit what I think, what I believe, as opposed to preparing and readying myself 
for the big, crazy, wide world before I leave the front door. He has this really good quote. Uh, he didn't come up with it. It's an old saying that says this. You've got to prepare the child for the road, not try to change or lie about the road for the sake of the child. An example of this in my own life is when I was an undergrad. When I was an undergrad, I knew I was going to be a pastor. I was studying to be a pastor. And one of the things that I will never forget is how thankful I was that I had a professor who um, was listening to the way in which I was talking, was listening to the way in which some of the other uh, students were talking, particularly as it dealt with other religions. And one of the things that he challenged us to do is he said, hey, before you graduate, I want to push you. Before you graduate, I want to challenge you to take a class that deals with another religion. And so he pushed me uh, to take specifically the course Introduction to Islam. Uh, these are mine. I actually got them from the class, and I still hold on to them. And I'll never forget when he pushed me and challenged me, um, at first I was super reluctant. I was super scared. And quite frankly, I was an egotistical, sarcastic uh, 20-something-year-old, and so I was like, I got that figured out. Like, I know, like, if you don't follow Jesus and you don't do it my way, you don't think like us, you don't worship like us, you don't believe like us, like, whoops, sorry about you. Like, I had a very small, small, small view when it compared to what actually I would go on to discover. When I took this course, I'll never forget, when I walked away from this course, what's so fascinating is that in Christian circles, sometimes there can be this reluctance, there can be this sort of prohibition, don't don't go study other religions. Don't go get exposed to other religions or other worldviews. And almost every single time I've ever done that, you want to know what happened to me? My love and affection for Jesus increased, and my understanding of God and the world also increased. When I walked out of this class, and when I walked into this class, I'll never forget, every single day I would pray. I would pray. I would say, God, I don't know anybody who is Muslim. I don't know this worldview. And I, I'm just, I'm scared. I don't really know what to think here. I've only been raised in this environment. And so God, teach me what is true. Show me what is real. And I'm not saying in the aftermath of this class, I became one of those people that believes that like all roads lead to God because uh, that's hogwash. Some roads will lead you right into a ditch. And so that is not true. I, am, I don't believe that all roads lead you to God, but I do believe this. I do believe this. After my exposure, after opening up and being willing to lose control, I was exposed to, and I believe this, that not all paths lead to God, but God pursues us down every single path. I believe in a God who is radically running after us. No matter what path you were born into, no matter what path you were only introduced to, if this God is truly going to be a loving, compassionate father of all of God's children, not just the Christian ones, then this God has to run after every single one of them. I don't care who they are. And so in doing that, I did. I lost control of God. I thought I had control of God, but I lost control of God in the most beautiful, powerful way ever. I walked away again with a deeper affection, a deeper understanding, a much wider, bigger understanding of this almighty God than I ever thought was possible. And so if you dare to pray that prayer, teach me what is true, be prepared you might lose control over something or someone. And finally, finally, one more risk. 
There's one more big, 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 big risk to praying the prayer, to asking God, God, teach me what is true. Show me what is real. I'm going to rely upon you to be the source of all things that are good and right. Because you better be prepared to accept the unknown. You better be prepared to actually be a person of faith. What is faith? Hope. Certainty of things hoped for, right? We're clinging to things that we're hoping are true, hoping are real, right? And here, this is exactly the antithetical thing that human beings don't want to do. We want to figure out everything. We want to have an opinion about everything. I swear, everywhere you go right now, in person or on social media, you will find someone who's got an opinion, informed or not, about the very thing that we're talking about. My wife is a sonographer, and so she scans uh, expectant moms for a living, and it is hilarious how many stories she comes home with with one partner who walks in, and they feel like they have to have an opinion about everything, and so there'll be a shot on the screen. They'll be like, ha, 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 see the baby's eyes. See the baby's eyes. Baby, see the baby's eyes? And Marie's over there like, and that's the kidney. That's the kidney. Okay, we're going to keep moving. But this is the world. Like, the world we live in, I, I feel like sometimes I'm interacting with people. I'm sitting in conversations and you're almost expected to have an opinion, a view about everything. I actually overheard someone the other day who was asked their opinion about something, and they said, oh, I actually haven't researched that. I don't have an informed opinion about that, and so uh, I'll just let y'all keep sharing. And I was like, I'm so proud of you! <laughs> I didn't know him, so I thought that'd be a little weird, just screaming that across the restaurant. But I was like, that, that, that! And what's so fascinating is that people of faith are the worst at it. They're the worst at it. We can never make room for mystery. When you go back to Scripture, it's really fascinating. When you go back to Scripture, I would encourage you, go and read on your own. Go and read on your own. You will not find in this book any, not even one, any passages where God tells us we are to be all-knowing. There's not one. There's not one passage in here that says you should be all-knowing, but there are tons of passages that call us to be what? Wise. Big difference. Big difference. Go back and read Proverbs for yourself. Go and read James chapter 1 for yourself. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks Knowledge. If any of you lacks uh, information, no. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. It's a big difference between spending your entire life seeking knowledge over and against wisdom. You see, knowledge is using information to fill a library, to fill up a catalog. I'm not saying that's not useful. But wisdom is when you pivot and you begin to use that information for good. You use that information to help, to serve, to do what is right and good for you and for the world. And friends, I'll close here. One of the other things that we know about wisdom, one of the things that we also know about wisdom, you've heard this quote before, right? That wisdom is also knowing what you don't know, right? And I get it. I get it. Some of you are listening to this sermon, and it's hard. It is hard to sort of 
shirk off that responsibility you have had to be the one who's got all the answers, maybe in your marriage or maybe with your kids or maybe in your family or with your circle of friends. You're always the one who has the responsibility of you already know, you know what the answers are. You know what the solutions are. You know it all. I know how tempting it is to want to hold that role and responsibility. But if I may, I would also just suggest to you that to pursue the path of wisdom over and against craving endless supply of knowledge is also not only good for you, but it is liberating. It is liberating to not have to have all the answers or to try to concoct some false version of the answers just to sound good. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you came into worship today, you tuned into worship today, and you've got some people in your life, and they always go to you for the answers. You're always the one who's got the truth. You're always the one who's got the solution to all their relationship issues, their job problems, their family issues. And it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. And sometimes, if you're willing to admit, you even just create answers out of thin air because you just want to have some to say. Now, some of you, <laughs> some of you, uh, you hear that, but you ain't ready to uh, sort of get rid of that role and responsibility. You still very much like to be the one with all the answers. And so that's fine. The sermon's not for you. You ain't ready to hear it yet. But some of you are ready. You're tired of trying to be God for anyone and everyone. And today you're ready to admit that God is God and you are not. We're going to say it together. Ready? You're going to say, you are God, I am not. We're going to say it out loud. Ready? You are God, I am not. That wasn't loud enough. Let's do it a little bit louder. You are God, I am not. I want you to think about the thing in your life where you've been trying to be God. You've been trying to have all the answers. You've been trying to have all the solutions. And I want you to say it like you mean it. You are God. I am not. You see, friends, what today is, what this prayer is, is it's an invitation to do exactly what the author of Proverbs said, which is to live a life not leaning on your own understanding, but trusting in the one who's got all understanding. Amen? So friends, today, hear this invitation. Today is an invitation to place yourself before God, particularly those areas, particularly those places where you don't have it all figured out. And with humility and with faith, open yourself to the revelation that comes from God alone. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.